We are delighted to welcome Tenovo's founder, Jonathan Carswell, with us today. Jonathan, I know you spend a lot of time between being in America and here in the UK, so I'm looking forward to seeing how that has impacted your accent. Oh, well, hopefully you can still hear the Yorkshire twang, but uh, yeah, certainly I'm, I'm having to learn to be bilingual and... Uh, Soccer and football and... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's a big one at the moment, isn't it? Before we talk about your Christian testimony and all of the exciting things that the Lord has done with Tenovos, you are uniquely positioned to be able to answer this. What are the differences you see between Christianity in the UK and Christianity in the US? Oh, yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I have to say I probably went to the US pretty naive. Um, whether I'm any better informed now, I don't know, but... <laughs> I, certainly, um, churchianity is a is a big issue in, in the US. Um, a lot of church going, but what that means for people's hearts uh, is not necessarily the same thing. I think where in the UK you'd get a lot more, um, whether it be atheist or agnostic views, or just uh, not not interested, not bothered. Um, complacent views i think you get less of that in in the us i think um within the church the differences are the us put a lot of emphasis on um programs and resources that they would use so for example um bible study material would they would never write their own stuff really um I, it would be look we use this program or we use this curriculum we buy in this resource uh which has its has its benefits for sure and somebody who sells resources you know I, i'm a big believer in that i think that does bring challenges though to um to a lack of training because you don't need to train in quite the same way um if you're using resources uh, so i think there's then a benefit that we see in the UK that there is a, a a broader spread of training and developing of people. It's perhaps why in the US there is a, a greater um, uh, trend to putting the senior minister or ministers on a pedestal, which can be a dangerous thing, uh, as we've seen quite a lot recently. Um, they, I don't know, this is really nitpicking, but they they do really respect their um senior leaders they'll always refer to them as pastor so-and-so and that's just that is a different world really i don't, I, I just feel like we're all servants of the lord really and so i think that there's, there's some subtle differences that do lead to to longer term um either shifts or longer term sort of um ways of working that are not the same yeah. and i think it is when it comes to resources we need to be careful then how we're reading both what comes from the us into the uk and vice versa because the cultures are not the same and we we do need to be um having the correct glasses as we read um various books and and, and resources because they don't quite uh always sit in the same way but yeah. Yeah, I have a lot to learn, though, and I, I certainly am no expert on it or or can bring too much to either party of anything uh, of much use, I don't think. But, uh, yeah, it is interesting differences. Yeah, it is interesting for sure. Well, thank you for that. Tell us about your Christian testimony. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in a Christian family. Um, I, from a very young age, was taken to church, heard the gospel. Um, we had family devotions, etc. So knew all the answers, really, on a head level um 
on a heart level just didn't make much impact. Um, though I do always remember guilt, um, guilt for my wrongdoing, guilt for a lack of interest, etc. Um, growing up in a Christian family has massive, massive benefits. Um, there were some expectations, I think, which were unhelpful. I remember the year before I became a Christian, I became a Christian on a on a summer camp in in Holland, a sports camp, and um, uh, recently challenged by a video by Alistair Begg of, you know, how did you become a Christian? Well, I became a Christian because the man in, on the middle cross said I could come. So yeah. that's my testimony. Um, but the year before I was on camp, they asked me to to give my testimony uh, to the campers. Well, I didn't want to embarrass my, my, my parents who were leading on the camp. So I said yes. And I gave my testimony because I knew the right things to say. But I wasn't a Christian. Wow. I just knew what to say. And there's a big danger, I think, for those that grow up in a Christian family that you know what to say. But the real work is in here, isn't it? And so, um, uh, yeah, it was the following, following summer. I remember the guy who was speaking very, very clearly um, uh preaching sin and i recognized that 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 was my that was my issue and uh, and so I, I took my sin which is all i had to to the cross uh left it there and uh yeah jesus just transformed my life i have to say it has not it's not been easy at all i've not found the christian life easy but it has been good and um yeah just changed the whole direction of my life really amazing from having a close inside view on your dad, Roger's ministry and life, how has the Lord used him and how is he doing? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, the, the amazing thing about the gospel is uh, it, it's for it's for everybody and God uses everybody. And uh, I think, you know, I've had an amazing privilege to see how God has has taken a, a life that has been dedicated to sharing the gospel with those who haven't heard it, haven't put their trust in Jesus. And I, you know, I'm biased. I, I love my dad dearly. I'm very aware of his faults and perhaps see them firsthand too. But um, he has a, a, uh, a love for people and a um, unashamed desire to use every moment to, to talk to people. You know, whether it's a, a salesman calling up on the phone or the person at Morrison's packing his, his shopping, he'll, he'll talk with absolutely everybody. And he's got a great ability, God-given ability, I think, to just like a, a door turn, turns on a hinge, just to turn a conversation to things that really matter, um, as well as obviously them preaching and, and speaking. And I think the, the spirit has given dad a winsomeness that winsomeness with the the power of of god's word being faithfully taught and god god's used that now like he's he's just uh you know he's just an individual who does his best and and god really uses that how is he doing it i mean he's, he's getting older he's he's 72 now I, I suppose so he's beginning to think well you know where can he keep doing the missions he's been doing etc um he's recently um had some cancer that's been operated on and uh so there's some health challenges for him he's diabetic as well and he, he loves his cheese too much so it's a bad combination but um hey i just think it's amazing how god um will take a part conversation here or a preacher there or somebody who's just faithfully praying each day and nobody ever gets to know them about the ministry what they're doing 
God just uses them. And I, yeah. I think dad has done that with the backing of my mom, who quietly prays in the background for him and for us as kids. And uh, hey, I think, you know, it's a privilege to be involved in a family that has ministry running through it, really. Not through any good of our own, but um, uh, the word of God plus the spirit of God brings life. And I think dad has been used as a little channel to be able to to present the word of God. And and by God's grace, the spirit has taken that. And um, yeah, ones and twos here and there all over the place have, have perhaps heard Jesus as a result, which is Amazing. really good. Yeah. How did the idea of ten of those come about? Uh, so I was a youth pastor in Northern Ireland, and to be honest, it started because I wanted a, a hobby at the weekends, and I already played football, so I just needed something else that was perhaps I felt was less energetic. Um, but mainly, I was I was involved in selling books at university with the Christian Union there, and just aware that there were so many books out there, lots were good. Some were not great and others were harmful. And so I really wanted at that point to, in a, in a good way, impact the sales charts by getting lots of good books sold in big numbers so that publishers would then think, well, we should be doing more of these. That was the initial idea. And so I bought in thousands and sold in tens. And that's where the name 10 of those comes from. As, as things have sort of gone on, what are we about? We're about getting as many people as possible, both Christians and non-Christians, reading books that will point them to Jesus. Yeah. Books that hold to the Bible that we know, that we've read, that we can endorse ourselves and, and promote. So we're, we're carefully curating them, getting them out as low cost as possible because we believe that the product, if it points to Jesus, can do good. If I was selling chocolate, I think I'd be less bothered about the uh, the low cost. But, you know, we want, we, we believe in the product, so get it out at low cost. And then in, in high volume, if we can. So if we can sell 10, 100,000 at a time, great. You don't have to buy 10 anymore, but the more you buy, the cheaper it gets. And uh, so the idea first came with, it was to influence the charts. Now it's the idea of, if I can introduce Jesus to people, whether they love him yet, or not then if it points to him it might just change their life and certainly that's what's happened in my life and i want others to experience that too brilliant yeah you mentioned about some christian or some so-called christian books being harmful we live in an age where many things are labeled christian but are often far from it in fact justin peter says that being in a christian bookshop can be one of the most dangerous places to be why is that and how have we got to that point um well, if I'll start with the second one first, um, how we got to this point, I think fundamentally, though it could start well-intentioned, though not always, we've come to this point because we don't hold a high enough regard to Scripture. Scripture is our, our plumb line for absolutely everything, and it's not an optional plumb line. It is crucial so every decision life choice uh uh outworking it, we've got to come back to well what does the bible say about this and there are some things that the bible is absolutely clear about there are some that clearly it says that this is a conscience issue and so that, that that perhaps leads some people to to go one way or another but ultimately what does the bible say it's the word of god that trumps everything emotion culture feeling, science, everything. And how have we got to this point? Well, ultimately, because we've let that slip. And 
every author, 10 of those cells, bar one, is fallible. So we've got to keep taking back everything we read, everything we sell to the Bible and say, well, okay, this is our navigational course. How are we doing uh, according to this? And so how have we got to the place? Well, we've strayed. We've, we've taken our eyes off, off scripture and, um, and gone to other places. So why is it now that bookshops can be a dangerous place? It's because something that holds the Bible can sit next to something that doesn't hold to the Bible. And how do you know? Until you spend time reading it. Uh, but some of these things that can be so subtle, you know, you, you don't get lost immediately. It's normally you're, you're off a degree here, you're off a step there, you take a wrong turn, and it's down the line you realize. I'll never forget um, being on a, a Bible training course and the, the guy leading it said, look, if you're off one degree now, you'll be off 30 degrees in, in years to come. And the one degree is, is subtle. The 30 degrees is a chasm. And so that, that's why it's so dangerous. Um, how do you know the difference? And it can be very subtle. The difference can also be very subtle. So that, that's our challenge. Yeah. That's our challenge. I just Can I just add one thing, though? What we, what we mustn't do, though, is in holding firm to the Bible, then become so narrow that there's no, there's no room for the personality, there's no room for creativeness, et cetera, because they're also God-given things. He gave us personality. He gave us creativity. Um, but he also gave us God's word. And so we've got to hold those. Yeah. Theologically, we know that there are many Christians that hold on to different positions on certain things, whether that be on eschatology or use of the gifts today and many other things. What are the non-negotiables for you guys at Ten of those with regards to what you would be happy to sell? Well, I have to say, we don't always get it right. We too are fallible and uh, we don't want to be the thought police, but equally we do want to be um, a, a good service and good stewards and, and encourage people back to the Bible. But the non-negotiables would be holding true to God's word and the gospel uh, is in that, obviously. Uh, the, um, the, the, the challenge with saying, oh, you know, we, we hold to the truth of the Bible. What does that mean these days? um does that mean my interpretation of it or you know so that that is what's difficult but what are we seeking to present i mean ultimately we seek to use our def definition of making much of christ because if we use that as our okay this is our our um, plumb line of of what what it means to follow scripture i just don't see how you can stray if the thing that is primary is jesus um, because if he is, well, as, as, as John said, if it, he must become greater, I must become less. If he is always the greatest, it is, is then much, much harder to, to stray. We Now, our, our hearts are, are like wandering sheep. They, they're quick to go away. But keep coming back to, does this make much of Jesus? Even when you've got differing opinions, and I have my own opinions, I have my own uh, ecclesiology, et cetera, et cetera, but that will differ from somebody else. But while we may differ on these secondary issues, do we agree we want to make much of Christ? And you can hold a number of different um, positions, whether that's kind of um, uh, with regards to the church or with regards to kind of how it's lived out. But if Jesus is number one, you can get on with a lot of people, really, who have different different views. Yeah. But it's not easy. It, it takes work. Yeah. Sure. 
as you guys have developed, you now also publish. How did that come about and how's that going? <laughs> it's a funny story. I don't know how much time we've got, but um, one of the first books we did was um, by Tim Keller, uh, which isn't often the way for a publishing house to start with Tim Keller. But um, I, I heard him um, uh, preach a sermon on um, uh, the freedom of self-forgetfulness, which is, became the title of, uh, of the little book. I was hearing at a time where I was really in a very, very dark place and um, yeah, just was was not in a good place. And so somebody suggested I listen to this as I had a long drive coming and I did. I listened to it on the way there and the way back. And it was to change my Christian life, really. And so I wrote to just a generic email at Redeemer, uh, where Tim uh, was the minister at the time and said, hey, look, this has just had such a massive impact on me. Would you mind if I printed 2000 and I'll uh, I'll try and get them out to as many people as possible? Uh, well, they agreed. <laughs> and I don't know whether they knew what they were getting into, but um, that was the start really of our publishing. And uh, it's gone on to do just short of 600,000 copies now. But what we're trying to do is get out books that make much of Jesus, really that I would like to read or I'd like to give to people. So often short uh, books um, and uh, that are accessible, affordable. Um, but really cherish and make much of Jesus. And um, whether that's for, for Christians uh, or particularly evangelistic stuff, there, there aren't many people publishing evangelistic books at the moment. So we've tried to give quite a good focus to that and then try and get them out for uh, a pound or so or a couple of dollars with the idea that you can give this to your friend without it breaking the bank. And who knows, a little seed that points them to Jesus might produce some life. So, yeah, that's yeah. what we do. I remember when I stumbled across 10 of those for the first time and when I was on your website, you mentioned about being affordable. When I saw that you was publishing and, and selling books for a pound, I was like, oh man, like how long are these guys going to be around for? <laughs> There's not a lot of margin in a pound. Well, when they're all <laughs> stolen, you can... Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, our model is a bit like um, a budget airline. You know, so long as all the seats are full, we can fly to the airport. And um, so long as we sell enough volume, we, we can make it work. And um, God's been very good to us, really. Yeah. yeah, amazing. I know you're really passionate about using your publishing clout for evangelism. Tell us about that, Jonathan. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I've touched on it a little bit there. Certainly in North America, for example, where I, I live at the moment, I don't know of one publisher that is committed to regularly publishing evangelistic books. Not, not one. I think the closest you can get to it are either publishers who have their base outside of North America and do, do a little bit of work uh, in the US or an American publisher who will do gospel tracks. Yeah. But other than that, uh, there, there aren't any. And I, I think that is that's a huge problem um, because there are so many people who are yet to hear the gospel or to respond to the gospel. So let's try and throw as many seeds out as, as is possible. I had a great story this, just this last week of somebody who picked up a, um, uh, an evangelistic book that we, we actually publish in a charity shop. And they read it, never heard of it before, loved it so much, they bought 25 copies to then give to friends. And that's what we want to be doing. We want to be like, like the farmer who generously scatters seed. And some is going to fall among the hard places and the thorns and the thistles, but some, some will fall on good soil. And if we believe that um, 
uh, books that are holding to the Bible can be taken hold by the spirit to bring life. Like the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, reading somebody explain by the power of the Holy Spirit comes to Christ. That's what we're seeking to achieve. And trying to do it for people a bit like me who find reading hard work, but are willing to give it a go. And if they do, well, you know, it'd be great if they met Christ as they did it. And so we're wanting to to make much of him in these little um, publications we're doing. Yeah, amazing. I just wanted to touch on that. You mentioned about finding reading hard work. Some people may be surprised to hear that you are dyslexic. How much of an impact has that had on your life? Um, yeah, so school was really, really hard. Uh, I wouldn't have got through it uh, without my mum doing my homework for me. And um, I, to my shame, I can't remember her name, but there was a lady in our school who every Wednesday would spend two hours with me and really just got me through getting my English, um, uh, my English grades. I, do, I find reading hard work, but that's the thing I've committed to do. And it, it takes a lot of discipline. Um, my writing, my spelling is really hard work. Um, I'm much more a verbal um, a communicator, though <laughs> people listening were like saying, well, you're not great at that either. But, um, I, you know, somebody said to me the other day, oh, could you just write that down for me? I said, would you, would you mind if I just present it verbally? So I, f- I find getting stuff in my head, down my arm, through a pen onto, onto paper, I find that really hard. Reading has taken a lot of work. And I've, I'm still kind of, I'm probably at a 16, 17 year old reading level, but, um, but it's worth it. Um, you know, it's, it's like having a, a really good bit of steak. It's worth the work of chewing it and, and cutting it and whatever, because once you get there, it's really good for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. With how busy you are, obviously being in between America and England and running this company, how much time do you get to read these days? And also my next question is going to be asking for some of the best books that you've ever read. Yeah, uh, well, best book, right, okay, well, um, I'll come to that in a second. How do I find time? I try and never be without a book. I don't know, were there too many negatives in that? I don't know. I, I always want a book with me. Um, so if I'm, even if sometimes I'm stuck at a traffic light, you know, I'm, I might just try and, or maybe not traffic light, but, uh, you know, some some roadworks or something. Or, you know, I'm waiting for a bus or, or an aeroplane or something. Um, I find little and often my attention span is terrible. And um, so if I can just try and read for 10, 15 minutes, um, it's amazing how much you get through about 20 books a year if you commit to 15 minutes a day. And if you make them short and you can get through a lot more. Um, but um, yeah, discipline. I try and read the things I like, though, also to to be a good reader. I think you have to read beyond your means. Um, I think you also need to read beyond you, your um, topics of interest. So you learn and grow. But I'd always start what I'm what I'm interested in. So biography, I love I love a story, uh, but one that shows me how God takes a life that's dedicated to Him that gets me excited. Um, if there's any authors and publishers listening, the thing that really helps me short chapters, even if it's the same chapter length as normal, but you just put a line break or a page break or whatever, that really helps me. Uh, so um, I try and look for books that do that. In terms of my favourites, I mean, that's really hard because there are different books for different seasons, different times. The first book I ever read that got me excited was um, uh, um, Roger Steers, A Man in Christ, the biography of Hudson Taylor. Um, that's one with short chapters. It's also a biography, but that really inspired me. Um, that, that got me going in Christian, Christian biography. 
I think one of my favorite biographies um, is Evidence Not Seen, the story of Darlene Dibler Rose. Though Helen Rosevere had a massive impact on me. So her stuff is just tremendous. She mentored me for a year when I was in Northern Ireland and that was just remarkable. I think my favorite in the last kind of two or three years is Ed Welch's Created to Draw Near, looking at the uh, what it is to be part of the royal priesthood of, of Christ, how he drew near to us so that in return now, because of what he's done, we can draw near to him and be in relationship with him as, as a royal priesthood. And um, that I think in recent years has probably the, been the one that's one that stood out, but there are different books for different times and also I'm very forgetful. So uh, that, there's probably one that I, yeah, incomparable by Andrew Wilson is one I've read three times now. And you, there's a common theme that has short chapters too, but taking our eyes off ourselves, putting them on, on God, that is a remarkable book, incomparable by Andrew Wilson. Brilliant. Well, what we'll do is we'll find the links to all of those books on 10 of those. And we'll make sure that they're in the description below. So you. thank yeah, you for sharing that, Jonathan. That's brilliant. What would you say to anyone listening that loves the idea of getting stuck into a good book? And you've certainly sold that during this interview, but he's struggling to find the time. Um, well, I'd look carefully at your diary because people are busy, you know, me too. And um, there's, there's times that it's easier to do something else. You know, it's much easier to watch a film than read the book. So that's how I got through my GCSE is just watch the film. But, um, you know, uh, we, things that we are committed to, we do find time for. I, I think John Piper gave a quote, something about, uh, you know, um, uh, social media was was invented to to show us how much time we ha- we actually do have to pray or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. you can find time if you really want it. I think look at what reading can do for you in terms of growing your understanding of God, growing your relationship with Him. So it's not just a head thing; it's a heart thing. But also how in knowing good books and reading them, you can then influence other people because you can make recommendations. You can challenge the, the young Christian. You can ask an older Christian what they're um, reading. You can then give away evangelistically. But if you haven't first taken on those things for yourself, then your recommendations or your passing on of a book is going to be a bit hollow. So I would be challenging people to say we find time for what we what we regard uh, so whether that's a relationship or, a, you know, we love a particular TV show, we'll find time for it. So regard reading because of what it can do for your Christian life and for those that you're interacting with and reading good stuff that will excite you about Jesus is just going to help create a culture within you where your heart is is burning for the things of Christ. And well, as Christians, that's something we should want. So don't feel you have to set aside, okay, I've got three hours now, I've got to read and I can't do anything else. Find 10 minutes, give 10 minutes to reading three pages or whatever your reading speed is and say, right, Lord, I'm going to meet you here again tomorrow as I read the next bit. And please, will you speak to me? The, The one thing I'd say though, just about finding time to read books is never read Christian books at the expense of reading the Bible. That is where we meet God in his word. Read that first and then let that fuel your appetite for other things. Don't think reading theology or Christian biography or whatever, however good it is, should ever replace reading God's word. And I I have to caution myself about that because it's easy to get the next and the the latest and greatest. But God's word, that's that's where we start. Yeah. How much pressure are sound Christian resources like yours under in today's marketplace when you have the likes of Amazon? Um, 
on one level, I'm I'm thankful to Amazon and other places like that because I, you know they make book buying very accessible and easy. Um, there are problems with Amazon, whether it comes to um, paying their tax or how they treat their employees, um, but also what they stock. Amazon sell heresy, so they're a problem. Now, there are plenty of Christian bookshops that also sell heresy, and 10 of those have to watch itself all the time that we're selling stuff that makes much of Jesus because we too can get it wrong. But any place that sells things that are harmful, you've got to watch. You know, you wouldn't do your supermarket shopping from a place that, um, you know, 50% of their stuff contained poison. Yeah. You'd say, well, should we shop somewhere else where we know that it's not like that? Now, OK, it's not as simple as that. It's the, the illustration doesn't quite work. But my point is Amazon is convenient, but it's not always the cheapest. And they don't care what you're reading. They don't give a Scoobies how you're doing spiritually. Not not a wink. So could we could we try and buy from places that do care? And there are plenty that do. And some of those are local Christian bookshops. Some of those are publishers, ourselves. We care about what people read and um, we care about their spiritual health. In fact, every day at 10 of those, we begin our day with a staff prayer meeting, praying for our customers, praying for the resources that go out, praying for the publishers, because it, it's crucial. This is, it's not optional. This is life and death. What we're, what we, you know, our battle is, is not an earthly battle. Um, and so all I would say is, look, I know people buy from Amazon. It's convenient, et cetera. But you need to care about your own spiritual health. Maybe shop with people who also care, um, because I know Amazon and others, they really don't. Yeah, amazing. Jonathan, the last half an hour has absolutely flown by. Thank you. Sorry, so much. That, that means I talk too much. Yes. So. <laughs> no, not at all. Do you have any closing thoughts? And also, please tell everyone at home how they can support you. Uh, well, thank you. Um, in terms of how people can support, please pray for us because it's very easy for us to be knocked off one degree today. And that wouldn't be good for us. Wouldn't be good for the people that we're seeking to serve. So please pray for us that we, above anything, cherish Christ cherish his word and that would then impact our day-to-day ministry of what we pick and uh, and what we sell pray for publishers again um it's it, there's great temptation to quickly publish something that will make you money that isn't making much of jesus i think one of the challenges that 10 of those and other ministries have though is we are a business but we are in business to do ministry and our, our ministry is the priority but to do that, we need to be in business. And this tension between business and ministry is something that I spend pretty much most of my day, that tension, working it through. So just please pray for me that I would keep my eyes on Jesus and that that would be true for our team and uh, that we're just desperate and keen to share him with other people. And we keep doing that. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Jonathan, thanks again. We're going to have links to your recommendations in the description below to all of your social media platforms and to the website as well. Jonathan, thanks again for your time. Really enjoyed it. Bless you. No, real privilege. Thanks for having me on.